I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. We now have 98 active applications seeking $104.5 billion worth of loan proceeds, right? So that's great. Now we got to get those things out the door. That's Jigger Shah, the solar and sustainable infrastructure pioneer who now heads the Energy Department's Loans Programs Office. Jigger has authority to make hundreds of billions of dollars in loans to turbocharge the energy transition. Before he joined the Biden administration, Jigger co-founded Generate Capital to finance low-carbon infrastructure as a service. Before that, he co-founded Sun Edison to launch No Money Down Solar. Let's jump right in to our conversation. Hi, Jigger Shah. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again. Likewise. Likewise. I think when I ch- talked to you last, or the last number I remember is that you had something like $46 billion in lending capacity at the Department of Energy's loan programs officer. I think it might have gone up now because we've got various legislation. So what are you what are you sitting on now, just to give people a sense of the scale? What are you sitting now on lending capacity? <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, look, I think that um, the loan programs office spent the better part of the last 18 months really just tightening everything up, right? All the risk management, all of the processes and procedures, all of the things that we do to streamline things for applicants. And so before the IRA passed, we got to roughly 77 applications seeking roughly $77 billion worth of loans. And so you can imagine that when the IRA passed, people said, wait a second, <laughs> they've got more loan requests than they have money. So they gave us an additional $100 billion in the programs that we already had. So that's the 1703 program, which is the Innovative Clean Energy Program, the Advanced Technology Vehicle Manufacturing Program that we funded Tesla, Ford, and Nissan out of, and then the Tribal Energy Loan Guarantee Program, which was a new program uh, put in place in 2017 that has yet to put out its first loan. But that went up from $2 billion to $20 billion. So there was $100 billion of additional loan authority there. So we have roughly $140 billion now in those three programs. And then we were given a new program called the 1706 program, which is the Energy Infrastructure Reinvestment Program. And in that program, we're really trying to help reposition uh, assets that have either ceased operations, like old coal plants, natural gas plants, old tank farms, old pipelines, things like that. or operating facilities that could be repositioned to continue to operate longer, but in a decarbonized fashion. And so that, what, the way that that's structured is that we've got $5 billion worth of credit subsidies which, with which we can pay points on a loan, right? Just like you would on your mortgage. And so everyone gets U.S. Treasuries plus three-eighths. And so we, um, we can pay down points on the loan um, so that we can get everyone down to U.S. Treasuries plus three-eighths, right? And we have as much loan authority as we have until that $5 billion gets spent, um, not to exceed $250 billion, which is a big number. I don't know whether $5 billion can be translated to $250 billion, but if for whatever reason all of our projects are very low risk and require us to buy down very few points, then that's the cap. Okay, well, so that's that. That was a little more detailed than I expected, but that's great because it lets people know the different buckets, and now let's let them know sort of how it works. So I'm interested in the in your in your loans as kind of catalytic capital for things that are otherwise not funded in the either the, in the in the commercial sense, and so you're always looking for where you can be the little bit of fuel that will make a much bigger you know engine and go. So. 
Um, yeah. How are you seeing like what the what what you got what what kind of capital you have that is not available elsewhere and how and and therefore how you can be most catalytic? Yeah. So I I would say the word catalytic has multiple meanings when it comes to our program. Um, and so it's another long answer. So like in 1703, which is one of our oldest programs, um, you know, that, that, you know, catalyst. So that's the innovative clean energy program that we funded solar, wind, transmission, other stuff in, in the past, right? The Vogel nuclear plant. Um, and so in that program, that requires technology innovation, right? So in that program, we are finding companies who have, you know, like raised over $100 million worth of corporate capital, you know, through three or four rounds of venture capital financing. Their technology is ready to go, and now they need to build their first, first-of-a-kind, at-scale pr project, right? So think the monolith materials deal that we did a conditional commitment for in um, late 2021, which is methane pyrolysis, right? They, they take natural gas or ethane, physically split it into carbon uh, black and hydrogen, right? Like with, meth with methane pyrolysis. And um, the, the carbon black goes to making tires, which electric vehicles still need. And the hyd hydrogen goes to making ammonia. That's what they've chosen to do with it, right? In that case, I mean, they've raised a lot of money at the corporate, right? But like no one was going to give them commercial debt to build the first of a kind facility on that stuff, right? So we were catalyzing that sector. And if we if that succeeds, you know, today the largest exporter of carbon black in the world is Russia. I think if this works, which I think it will, we will become the largest exporter of carbon black in the world. And the byproduct of that is gonna be hydrogen. So we'll also be one of the largest producers of clean hydrogen in the world. Um, and, you know, we'll make a lot of our ammonia here, which right now we import a lot of ammonia from Ukraine that comes from Russian gas, right? So, you know, so we'll be able to make a lot of that here. So, I mean, in general, I'd say that that's, that's how we catalyze things in the 1703 program. So just to be clear, first demonstration at commercial scale of something that has been proven out at a technology level, but not actually at a deployment level well, yet. Well, according and to the Congress, we can do up to the first six projects, two per region, right? So not just the first of a kind project, but se second through sixth as well in three regions, right? And, um, and then we can also do the learning curve, right? So when you do a learning curve, you actually have incremental innovation, right? So like when solar panels went down in cost, it wasn't just the 12% efficiency solar panels or 13% efficiency solar panels that we funded in you know, 2013. It was also like it went to 19% efficiency over time, right? So some of those breakthroughs also qualify for the loan programs office, right? And then, uh, so we can do the first six of those breakthroughs as well. And then you go to uh, market securitization, right? So there's innovation that happens there as well. So, so we have four parts of that, right? So you have first of a kind deployment, engineering excellence, which is the second through sixth projects, learning curve where you've got substantial innovation that occurs along the, the cost reduction curve. And then you've got market securitization where Wall Street's afraid of doing the first securitizations and we can provide loan guarantees there. So is that what you call the bridge to bankability after you've gotten through those It is exactly steps? the bridge to bankability. I can't believe that someone I've mentioned it before up. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's the notion that after you get through those four steps, you are at bankability? Yeah, we then take the next exit, you know, like go back around and, and uh, let the 
private markets actually, you know, take it the rest of the way. Are there any sectors that you've marched through those four stages and are now bankable? I know you've done this in your earlier career, you know, at Sun Edison and, and Generate and Capital, but have you done it at, at, at LPO yet? Yeah. So I would I'd give you two answers to that question. One is yes, of course, right? Like 100 megawatt solar and large wind projects were never done before we provided those guarantees in 2009, 2010, 2011, right? And so those are now across the bridge to bankability and on their way, which is wonderful. Um, and I think people like somehow like um, don't appreciate what we've done and they just take it for granted. Fine. You know, I don't need any uh, thank yous or attaboys. But like, but, you know, but the way this stuff works is we provided those guarantees in 2011, right? They were not constructed until 2013, 2014, right? At the time at which they were constructed, nobody wanted to buy those projects. Remember, Berkshire Hathaway was the only bidder. So they bought all of them, right? Berkshire Hathaway does not do things that doesn't make it a very nice rate of return, right? And then it wasn't until 2015 that the market said, screw you, we're going to do these uh, yield codes, remember? Like NRG Yield, Nextera, Sun Edison, right? Sun Edison was, was undisciplined, went bankrupt, and then, um, you know, that got bought by Brookfield, right? And then it still wasn't fully bankable by Wall Street. It was not until 2018, 2019, that all the major Wall Street banks said, okay, yeah, we've got an open door, come to us with your projects, and then we'll actually like bring you all the capital from you know, all these capital providers around the world, right? So, so we got involved in 2009, the market wasn't fully bankable until 2019. And this is in a technology people thought were like, well, obviously solar and wind got done. Well, it wasn't that obvious, not in 2009, right? We did transmission lines, we did geothermal, we did, you know, obviously the Vogel nuclear plant, which looks like it's going to finally turn on here in 2023. Um, and so, you know, we did a lot of stuff there, which is in various stages. But even for those technologies, we still have a role to play. So, for instance, for wind, which is clearly bankable today, nobody is willing to fund 120 meter hub heights um, for onshore wind. They think it's too risky. So those projects are looking to come into the loan programs office. Same thing's true for offshore wind. They're fine with 12, the 12 megawatt turbines. They're, they're finding it very risky to do the 14.7 megawatt turbines. So, you know, we might do the first of a kind 14.7 megawatt turbines. If, you know, for like uh, offshore wind that is not in a monopile onto the floor, um, you know, and they're floating platforms, a lot of people are nervous about that. We might do the first floating platform. So we still have bridges to bankability. Those are, those are smaller bridges. The large bridge has been built, but there are smaller bridges in these like incremental transformational technologies um, that we may have to get involved in. Great. Okay. That was, I think, just your, your first uh, example of, of the kind of catalytic capital. So I, I cut you off before you got to the rest of them. No, no worries. And then I think that when, and then when you think about like um, the, the next bridges that we're building now, right? So we talked about monolith materials. And, you know, really using fossil fuels as a, uh, a feedstock, right? But there's no CO2 capture, right? Because they're not burning it. They're just literally physically splitting the molecule into carbon and hydrogen, right? And so, you know, so there's, there's those technologies. But I think the other technologies we're looking at, which we've talked about virtual power plants and, you know, the role that we're going to play there to make sure that those um, financing platforms that are providing financing for solar and heat pumps and that kind of stuff um, can expand to meet, uh, to serve low moderate income communities, can serve, you know, low FICO score communities, you know, can serve U.S. territories like Puerto Rico and Saipan and 
you know, Guam. Um, you know, all of that stuff can also go through our program. And, you know, the innovation that they're doing there is the virtual power plant um, concept where we can actually use all these resources in a virtual way to replace natural gas peakers. So that's partly a tech innovation. It's partly sort of a business model innovation. Well, it's only a tech innovation from the purposes of the eligibility of our office. Now, we it also participates in business model innovation, but that doesn't qualify for the innovation part of our innovative clean energy. It's only the tech innovation that qualifies. Got it. Okay. Okay. So um, I know that you are a fan of sectors that reach uh, $100 billion to be able to make, I think, um, uh, a meaningful contribution um, on the on the on the climate side, and also you know. Well, maybe I think I don't know that I'm a fan. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of gigaton scale climate reduction, and you can't get there without a hundred billion dollars to cross the bridge to bankability. <laughs> okay, so so it's so so it's the gigaton reduction that you're after. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of gigatons. <laughs> of, of, of gigatons removed or gigatons. That's avoided. right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so tell us about, say, let's just take one that I've gotten interested in, hydrogen. And yeah. um, I know you did the high store um, uh, a hub in, in Mississippi, I think one in, in Utah as well. I know the DOE more broadly is is, is, is on to the sort of hydrogen hub model. Um, yeah. Where is that on the, on the road to bankability? Well, so I, I, I'd say it a little bit differently. Um, so in hydrogen, you've got 14 plus use cases that people are talking about, right? So um, when people come to us, it, we are acting like a commercial bank. Now we're a friendly commercial bank. We've got free coffee in the lobby and you know, like all the things that you would want, free Wi-Fi, you know, come on into the lounge and you know, come in. But like either way, like, you know, we're still a commercial bank. We have to meet the reasonable prospect of repayment. So there are certain use cases that have done that, right? So the Delta Utah project is, um, is hydrogen seasonal storage, right? So they take all that excess wind and solar um, in the markets that are, would otherwise be curtailed, and they're turning it into you know green hydrogen and sticking it in salt caverns, and and then you know they might turn it back into kilowatt hours using a combined cycle gas turbine, or they might actually sell it off at a higher price to a green chemicals facility that co-locates and turns that hydrogen into chemicals or ammonia or something like that, right? So, so essentially, it's a giant storage facility. Yeah, and there's 12 more caverns that have already been identified. I think there's somebody even making a REIT out of them. I mean, it's crazy how innovative people are. But like, so that so that is a use case that pencils. And a lot of people look at it and go, oh, that makes tons of sense to me. And I'm willing to put together. And, and that, that project got five of the world's most um, uh, respected inf infrastructure investors as investors, including, you know, GIC and some of those other companies, right? So that's great. Now, um, the monolith materials deal is also a hydrogen deal, right? So it, it, hydrogen is a byproduct of that process. They're making ammonia out of it. Right now, the ammonia in Nebraska comes from Ukraine via Russian gas into the port of Tampa, shipped via pipeline from Tampa to Louisiana, shipped via pipeline from Louisiana to Nebraska. So like this is a shorter supply chain <laughs> that's giving people fertilizer, which they need, right? So, so that, that business model seems to work. Right. The other business model that seems to work is that there's a lot of solar and wind companies who have um, have a certain amount of interconnection capacity, but they've got a lot more land than they have interconnection capacity. So they're realizing that one of their growth stories, right, because there's a terawatt of solar and wind sitting on interconnection queues right now in the United States, is that they can build 4x or 3x the amount of solar and wind than they have interconnection capacity. 
right? They put in some lithium-ion batteries, um, which helps them with, you know, like two hours of lithium-ion battery storage is pretty cost-effective with ancillary services. So they use that to do some time shifting, and that gets them to like 1.5, 1.7x, you know, what the original footprint was. And then they, um, and then they also uh, build uh, green hydrogen facilities on site, right? To turn the rest of the the clean energy plus potentially some energy off the grid, right? Into uh, hydrogen. And then they're shipping that to like the, the port of Corpus Christi and and turning it into ammonia and then shipping that ammonia around the world, right? So like, so you've got a lot of technologies there. Sometimes in the case of these hubs, I, I was, I, I think the Mississippi one, as I understood it, was um, uh, having a bunch of land that you'd co-locate industrial facilities that wanted a store, a, you know, stable and 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 plentiful source of, of clean hydrogen that to to run whether it's I don't know clean yeah green that's the next stage. Steel. Yeah. I find that it, it, it rarely comes together where, you know, you have 40 folks who want to come in at the same time. So you always have to have like an anchor tenant, right? And so this this solar and wind, you know, into hydrogen, into ammonia, uh, seems to have offtake agreements out of Europe and other places that, you know, folks have signed up for, right? And then once that happens and the, and the infrastructure is built right around the port of Corpus Christi, let's say, well, then, you know, now you've got a bunch of these other companies, as you suggest, to take extra land and and build facilities there. And then they say, well, actually, it's more profitable to serve those customers than to ship those molecules to Europe. And so we, we won't do that. And we'll actually use them locally. And, you know, that that's a 20 year build out. Right. That's sort of how that stuff works. And so so um, so we're excited about that. And I'd say that we have roughly thirty three billion dollars worth of projects that we're tracking across the United States that are in those three strategies. Um, and then there's additional strategies that people are talking about today. But we haven't actually seen a commercial model come together yet um, and into our office. Am I right in remembering that, you know, Jigger Shah, private citizen, was a little skeptical on, on the hydrogen opportunity and maybe Jigger Shah, you know, public servant, has come around? No, exactly the opposite. Exactly that. Remember, when we were, when I was at Generate Capital, we were absolutely uh, big, uh, you know, hydrogen proponents, right? And... Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd say that in general, you know, my own sense is, is that um, that there's smart hydrogen and there's dumb hydrogen. And so we try to stay away from the dumb hydrogen and we try to lean into the smart hydrogen. But but in general, I'd say that hydrogen as an energy carrier is valuable. I mean, think about it this way. Right. So when you think about the Delta Utah project, how do they create, you know, like stored hydrogen? They use water. Right. There's water rights from that coal plant that's there and they turn that in hydrogen. That facility is basically another form of pumped hydro, right? So in some of these cases, it makes tons of sense. Separately, we use about 10 million tons of hydrogen in the United States today, right? Turning all of that hydrogen from dirty hydrogen to clean hydrogen is something that makes tons of sense to me, right? So now, do I think that hydrogen is going to save the entire world and do all sorts of magical things and cure cancer? Not clear. Right. Like I, I, I'm not I'm not one of those boosters. Right. But I do think that turning dirty hydrogen to clean hydrogen is something we can do. And that alone is a multi hundred billion dollar market opportunity without getting into the trillions. Right. So, like, I, I think we should just focus on mining that multi hundred billion dollar opportunity and then get the cost down. And then we could talk about the trillions. Are there uh, technologies or approaches or sectors that your view has changed, uh, you know, by being 
essentially, you know, kind of on the inside now or, or getting maybe a view of different kinds of projects or different kinds of players? Has, has anything changed as you've as you've now what are you, approaching two years in the in the role? Yeah, I don't I don't know that anything has changed. I've always been for everything against nothing. Right. That was Mike Eckhart's uh, view at ACOR. And, and I've always held that view. I, I, I think the infighting within the climate tech sector is wholly unhelpful. Um, and all of us should be supportive of everyone's innovation and wish the best for everybody, right? Now, you do have some fundamental frustrations. Like, I mean, I think everyone is frustrated by the cost overruns of nuclear power or, you know, some of the challenges that are posed by the energy consumption of the direct air capture and carbon management sectors and all that stuff. And so you hope for a lot more innovation in those sectors to be able to get to a point where you have a lot less of that you know, happening and more tools. And I certainly have a different seat today than I had before. And so, you know, I didn't have to work on every sector before. Today, I have an obligation to work on every sector because anybody who wants to use a loan programs office, we're open for business and we're here to serve, right? So, you know, like, whereas in the past, I could say, no, I think that sector is too early for me. I don't have that ability here. I, I have to say, well, if you meet the the rules of the office, then I need to get smart on your technology and how it works and, you know, how, how we make that work. And so so that, I think, is a, a shift in the role that I play. Um, and so I am certainly a bigger fan of all this innovation across all of these um, areas. And, it, and I'm, I'm paid to be a big fan, right? I mean, that is my job today is to do that. Um, I will say that I, I, I haven't changed my discipline. Like, I don't I don't think boosting things without people following the basic rules of capitalism make any sense, right? Like, um, like you know, we, we in this country are private sector-led, government-enabled. And I think there are many sectors who come to us saying, we would like for this thing to be government-led and private sector-enabled. And I was like, well, that doesn't work. That's not the system of government that we have here. So there are other countries you can move to that, that do that, but that's not what we do. So, you know, so let's be honest about it. It's got to be your idea that I'm helping make happen. It can't be my idea that you're helping make happen. Understood. Okay. Are there things that have um, sort of surprised you on the upside as, as coming along faster or things that are showing more potential that, you, that, that folks might not know so much about yet? Yeah. I, well, I think you know about... Um, you know, we publish this monthly, you know, activity, you know, uh, application activity report, right? And uh, and so we've got big boxes of, of of interest, right? And so, you know, I'm I'm a little bit surprised. We have 14 billion dollars of you know sort of loan applications in from nuclear. We've got you know you know a lot of applications that have come in for uh, sustainable aviation fuel. A lot of applications that have come in from long uh, transmission lines, uh, a lot of applications that have come in for carbon management. I'm uniquely surprised about how much applications we've gotten for virtual power plants, not just in residential solar plus storage and heat pumps and that kind of stuff, but also on uh, EV fleet conversions and, you know, and using a lot of those chargers and virtual power plant operations and all that stuff, which I think has been super exciting. And there's some places where I'm obviously not surprised. I mean, I think battery manufacturing, um, you know, we're not surprised by critical minerals. We're not surprised by, I think there's been a huge market push in those areas. And so, you know, we're very excited about our, the role that we play there. But, you know, the fact that, you know, the, those are ideas who've time, whose time has come, as Victor Hugo is often credited for saying. Um, so, yeah, so look, I think that, um, 
you know, we're excited about all 25 or so sectors that the IEA has said we need to get to $100 billion scale on to cross the bridge to bankability so that those tools are available in the toolbox, right? We want to get every tool across that. But I'd say of nine or 10 sectors where we've actually seen a lot of loan interest. Are is there learning on the part of the banks to, to whom this bridge is being built such that when they see the trajectory in one sector and the um, ability of a, of, a, of, a, of a technology advance to, to get to deployment and whatnot, that they then are more amenable to banking the next uh, um, example of that? Or is each case yeah. have to get proven out separately? Or both? Uh, uh, both. I mean, but, I, but I'd say that, look, I mean, I've been in the business of execution and, you know, um, syst systemic jealousy for my entire career, right? Like when I started, you know, Sun Edison, um, you know, I don't know that a lot of people actually wanted to bank us, right? And, you know, we went through that process and, you know, did a lot of that work and got uh, that work done and then we raised a, a fund with Goldman Sachs and then you know we got to the other side where people started becoming more jealous of us and you know started like wanting to copy us which is awesome right and the same thing is true in other um, jobs that I've had in my career and I'd say that that same thing is true here at the loan programs office I mean I think for the first two years here um, there's been a lot of like you know are you guys for real are you really gonna get all these things done? Are you going to develop trust relationships with all these entrepreneurs? Are they going to spend the 300 hours that it takes to write a loan application and get through your office? Like, are they going to do all those things, right? And well, I mean, the proof is that we now have 98 active applications seeking $104.5 billion worth of loan proceeds, right? So that's great. Now, we got to get those things out the door. We've got four deals out the door. Well, now we need the rest of those to start getting through the door, right? So, so I think you'll start seeing that in, in greater volumes in 2023. So that'll be great. And then um, as those come out, I think a lot of banks are going to be saying, we're still sitting on a ton of cash, right? I mean, every bank that I know of is sitting on a ton of cash without a lot of loans, which is why even though the Fed has raised interest rates, they haven't raise savings accounts because they haven't been able to put all those that those deposits into loans, right? So a lot of them are looking over our shoulder going, hey, Jigger, you know, do you have something over there that you can show me that I can put some money into that I can get past my investment committee? And, you know, the, you know how that stuff works. Like some of it is, hey, you know, if we do the first three loans, they'll do the next three loans. Some of it might be like if we do the first loan, um, because that's the fourth sector we've done, th they trust us more. Now they'll do loans two, three, two, three and four. I don't know how that's going to roll itself out, but I think we need another two years to develop that systemic jealousy from all those banks to come in and say, hey, wait a second, Jigger, we want that, that loan volume. You know, we're going to steal it from you. And I'm going to say, please steal it from me. The government doesn't want to do this role. The government is only doing it because you're forcing us to because you won't make the market. Well, and on that note, what's the um, distinction between the lending you do directly um, you know, I guess senior secured or subordinated co-lending, as I understand it from your website, with the ones that you guarantee that others make. Is, is that a function of, of, you know, what the market needs in, in, in different cases? Well, yeah. I mean, like, we, we only provide um, loan guarantees. That's what we do, right? So when we provide debt to a project directly, it's the federal financing bank at the U.S. Treasury Department that provides that cash. And when we guarantee their position. So it looks like a U.S. government loan, but it's really not. It's 
It's it's a well, I mean it's it looks like a US DOE loan, but it's not. It's a US Treasury loan, which we are guaranteeing. And that same exact structure is what we do with JP Morgan or Bank of America or somebody else. So like you know, they can also come in and we can guarantee their position. I see. So it's just a function of whether the, the source of the capital is the, is the treasury or, 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 or a bank and, and, and you're still yeah. a guarantee. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I know you're a fan of uh, calling the energy transition the greatest wealth creation opportunity of, I don't know what the, what the category is, of a lifetime, of ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Depends on how old you are. But, I, 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 you know, my son is seven. I think it'll be of his lifetime as well. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think we have seen a, an uptick. I mean, certainly the, the private equity and, and the venture climate tech funding seems to be holding up in the face of a, you know, more broader downturn of other kinds of, of, of tech funding and whatnot. And there's um, a sort of general uptick in climate funding, I think, from the reports we're seeing. But has the world caught up yet, even at this late date, to the scale of this opportunity um, uh, which you know should be attracting everybody if it's the greatest wealth creation I think it depends ever. on how you want that question answered like we've obviously spent a lot of time on catalytic capital and you know out of the cop uh, which just you know ended um, they concluded that we needed four to six trillion dollars a year um, to really you know get to 1.5 degrees um, that four to six trillion dollars a year exists. I think you and I both know it exists. We actually know who all the players are that want to put that four point four to six trillion dollars to work. So from that perspective, we've won. Like that, that money is allocated and available to put out the door. I think where um, the world has not caught up is in creating the projects, right? So we don't have four to six trillion dollars worth of projects that can absorb that money every year. And I think that there's a lot of people who have misplaced their activism on trying to convince the banks and insurance companies and others to do that stuff. And where they should be focused, focusing their activism is on mayors, city council, county commissioners, and governors to say to them, hey, why is your police car fleet still not electric when it's a two and a half year payback to do that? Why is your school bus fleet still not electric when EPA is providing these grants? Why do you not have solar on all of your flat roofs when it's a five-year payback and you guys are definitely going to have that school open for the next 25 years, right? Why are you not doing all of these incremental things that have been cost-effective for so many years, but you still haven't done it? And now we've given you 10 years of certainty within the IRA and the bill and the Chips and Science Act to be able to give you the confidence to do that. I think inertia has been holding us back. And... And the thing that I think is most problematic is that the number of people that we need to be activists in this area is so immensely small, right? We only have 19,500 cities and towns in this country. That's it, right? We have way more than 19,500 people that are employed to like actually like defeat climate change. We have more than that just working on the solar industry alone, let alone carbon management and hydrogen and whatever, right? So every single person who works in this industry needs to go back to their hometown this Christmas and say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing to, to get all these projects done, right? Every one of them needs to go call their high school friend who's now the mayor of the town and say, what's going on? Why are you not collecting all of this money that's coming out of the federal government and out of the private sector and actually implementing, you know, next generation decarbonization technologies. 
right? Like, why are you not creating jobs in your community, right? And it is shocking to me how little people are actually talking to their neighbors at dinner parties and holiday parties and others about these extraordinary opportunities. So you heard it here from Jigger. The money is there. The projects are waiting to be done by passionate, motivated people who can just put the put the deals together and 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 make it happen. And uh, as you've said many times, um, de- deploy, deploy, deploy. <laughs> well, I think the secretary has said many times, and I've I've copied her. But uh, absolutely, deploy, deploy, deploy. Okay, we'll give credit to the to, to the secretary as a as a good public servant, Jigger. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, and um, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. It's so great to see you again, David. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Jigger, about catalytic capital, and about the energy transition at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to Jigger, to our producer Isaac Silk, and to the whole team at Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge. And to all of you Agents of Impact, thanks again for all that you do.